Right, so let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> so. Genesis chapter 3. Again, welcome to Carlsbad Bible Church. We're glad you're here. It's Christmas Eve day. I know there's many people traveling and uh, seeing family and friends, and we just hope that everybody's uh, being safe out there, so. Genesis chapter 3, we'll start at verse 8. It says, And when they heard the sound of Yahweh, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh, God in the midst of the trees of the garden. uh, Yes, verse 9. Yahweh, God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid... Because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I command you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave to me from the the tree, and I ate. Then Yahweh God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And Yahweh God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than any of the cattle and more than every beast of the field. Or your, On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, it will greatly, I will greatly multiply your pain and conception. In pain you will bear children, and your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then, he, then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat of it, and all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from whom? Because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us, Lord. After the fall of man, Lord, uh, you have proclaimed, Lord, that you will send your Son to break these chains, Lord, to break this curse. And here we are today, Lord, celebrating the coming of your Son, Lord. And we just thank you for this gift. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you that uh, now we live on this side of the cross, Lord, and that we're able to receive your grace and your mercy and uh, preach your truth, Lord, and and um, tell people about what you have done and uh, what uh, we need to do, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray for those families, Lord, who are traveling right now or are with friends and families that you be with them, Lord, that you give them opportunities to speak your truth, Lord. God, we just thank you for your grace and your mercy and what you've done on the cross, Lord. We thank you and we love you. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Thank you for being here this morning. We're a little few in number, and as Ray mentioned, that there are probably a lot on travel. I know there are a few that I know of, and some of you may be um, ill and joining us from home online, so I think we're live on Facebook Live right now and a couple of other maybe media platforms. Not sure what all we 
we uh, produce our recordings on, but we hope you're joining us uh, via the internet somehow as well. We're going to be back in Philippians chapter 4 this morning, and I'm going to start in verse 14. I'm going to read through to the end of the chapter, although we're not going to make it all the way to the end this morning. Uh, We'll probably go through about verse 17, but just to frame things in context, I want to include more than we'll actually be diving deep into. Um, Being that it is the day before we celebrate Christmas, um, I was debating whether or not I should just bring a Christmas message somewhere, maybe from the Gospel of Luke or one of the Gospels. Uh, But as I began to look at where we would be this morning in our study of Philippians, I think it's uh, very fitting that we're going to be talking about giving, we're going to be talking about receiving here in the book of Philippians. So God always provides, and so we continue in this expository way, and He has provided for us this morning in having some important reminders, especially for this season. So let's read it together, Philippians 4, verses 14 through 23. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble... And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours in according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now let's pray once more. Ray, would you lead us in prayer, please? Amen. All right. I've been battling a little bit of a cough this morning, but thank you, Chris, for these cough drops. That definitely helps me. <laughs> so what we have seen and what we've read about is an example of selfless giving on behalf of a church, and this is the church in Philippi, and how they did well in partnering with Paul financially, and like many of the other churches, Um, that he had visited along the way on his second missionary journey. And we'll look a little bit more at that later on in this study. But because Paul starts off the passage with a yet, it causes us to go back and to see what had preceded this. And we're going to go back to verse 10. I didn't include it in the reading this morning, but just to kind of set apart this yet and the reason for it, it's kind of like a therefore. When we see a therefore in Scripture, it always links back to something that came before it. Now, we know the church in Philippi that they had sent a contribution, a gift to Paul through Epaphroditus, and that was likely a financial gift, but it could included also some 
provisions, some material provisions. Maybe they brought him blankets or a coat or something like that, but it was probably a financial gift primarily. And as we learn from verse 10, Paul is rejoicing in Christ that they did this. But in thanking them for the gift, he minimizes his dependence on this gift. And so let's look back at it to see what he says here in verse 10 of 4. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So we learn here that Paul's contentment is not dependent on this gift having come to him. His contentment is through Christ who strengthens him across these various circumstances of his life, through the good and the bad life experiences. But because of his love and his not wanting to sound unappreciative, that is where the yet comes in. When he says, yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And in some translations, it means, or you may see, to share my tribulation or to share my trials. I believe that Greek word, philipsis, for trouble, is translated a, a few different ways in English. So I just want to look at that word for a second, and then I'll come back to the reason we see the yet here. That philipsis, that Greek word for persecution or tribulation, it means to be crushed under an intense pressure. And as Paul talks about this trouble that he's experiencing, we can understand through the circumstance that he finds himself in right now, being in prison, that he certainly is under a very physical weight. But the trouble that he is describing here is more the trouble that comes in, in a spiritual sense, that pressure, that feeling of weight on the soul. So when we see this word trouble, we think of this Greek word, philipsis, which is that being crushed by intense pressure. So on one side of this, we have Paul saying, I don't look to money. I don't look to the physical provision. I've experienced everything from the lows to the high. I've been crushed. I've been persecuted. As he says, I think it's in Corinthians, pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned. Here, in a sense, this trouble are those same things. He's experienced all of this but he's still able to have contentment. And then he sets this off, verse 14, with the yet. Yet, he is saying, please don't misunderstand me. And he drops this thank you note into the midst of, of this discussion here, this um, sharing of his contentment with him. He says, it was very kind of you to see to my needs, to provide this financial gift to me. He says, you didn't do badly. In fact, you did good in doing this. I don't want you to misunderstand. You didn't undermine my dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ. I am perfectly content in Him, but yet I still thank you for this gift that you have sent to me. So we see that through Paul, you don't have to not rejoice in people's kindness towards you because you've learned how to be content even without kindness. And just because you've learned that doesn't mean that we still cannot be thankful for the gifts 
that we may receive from others, whether they be financial gifts or maybe that's just a gift of service, an act of love and kindness towards us in some way, shape, or form, maybe something that you will open that's under the Christmas tree for you, just being receptive of that and not denying one who wants to give the gift. And so Paul is showing us here as an example that we are saying, no, 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 I'm content in God, I don't need anything else, I don't need your gifts, but when one is willing to give and giving with the right heart, we should be ready to receive that because it can be an encouragement to them that their gift is a blessing to you. So we don't want to leave out the thankfulness part of one who is giving. We need to consider this um, because it's easy for some to give. I, I know I've talked to many who say here, I, I love giving gifts, but I just feel a little bit awkward in the receiving end of it. And maybe some of you have no trouble with that. Maybe just you know, give to me all these gifts and, and I'm, I'm content. But, but then when we come to receiving, uh, that can be a more difficult challenge for us sometimes. So I think we see both the goodness and doing well in giving the gift here and we see the goodness and expression of thankfulness in the receiving of the gift by Paul. And looking at the way Paul receives this gift is a lesson to us. So we see both the spiritual lesson that is seen here, and we have the relational lesson. His relationship with the, the people in Philippi and how he is receiving this gift from them and how they are giving it to him. And like Paul, we don't need the gifts to be content in our relationship with Jesus. Christ is sufficient. Christ is enough. And I hope this is something that we will carry over into tomorrow or whenever it is that you decide to celebrate Christmas is that your focus is up on Jesus and all that we've just sung about and all that we'll sing about tonight and share in Scripture, that that is the primary objective of our celebration is our worship of Him. But Paul is that example that you can be profoundly content through Christ who strengthened him through every like circumstance, but then you can also see the, the importance and the act of worship in some way wanting to give to you. you know, we are, as a Christian, we should be ready to give up our life for Jesus. Paul was saying that he would rather you know, be with Christ than live, but he was here on this earth, and because he is here, he was content, he would be happier to go to heaven, but while he's here, he was seeing this blessing that was provided to him through other believers in a church called Philippi. So he was celebrating their well-doing, and he describes they did well. You know, I think about how we as, as fathers, you as, as mothers, how when we see our child excel in something, that we want to affirm that in them. We, in a sense, want to celebrate the, that with them, so we compliment them on their doing well. And this is that. This is Paul encouraging them in their generosity to others, with whether it was to him or maybe it was to someone else. Paul was going to celebrate that they had a giving spirit, that they had a giving heart, so that they wouldn't be discouraged to give. So the importance of receiving well is to be understood here as well, not just the giving well. So that you're not discouraged, that we don't belittle gifts when they are given to us. But now, Paul describes how they did well. In verse 15, he says, And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. This is something Paul recognized in them from the time he brought the gospel message to them, or at least 
That's what I understand when I see him saying that in the beginning of the gospel, Paul entered into the city of Philippi, and wherever he went, he immediately set out to share the gospel, right? I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I may be getting that wrong. Maybe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 15, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I believe, he says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for his sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Everywhere he went, that was of first importance, is the delivering of the gospel message. So when he says that in the beginning of the gospel, and he's going out and he's sharing the gospel in every city that he went, as he entered into Philippi, he immediately set out to share the gospel. We see this in Acts chapter 16, and you can go back and read that later on, but we have several encounters with some pretty important people of that city, and Lydia being one of them. Lydia was one of the first interactions that Paul and Silas had as they entered into Philippi. She was the seller of purple. She was probably fairly wealthy, and it says there that her and her entire household were saved and were baptized, and then we see Paul in the city out sharing in the marketplace, and this demon-possessed girl who had the ability to foretell fortunes or to predict people's future, in a sense, by this inhabitation of a demon within her, she was constantly going around, and she was an annoyance to Paul, so he cast the demon out of her and really saves her from the demon, and then, or God, through Paul, saves her from the demon, but she's also rescued from the masters that all they cared about is earning a a living off of them is getting a financial gain from her. And so she was likely one of those saved as well. And because they impacted the pocketbooks of these masters, a lot of persecution came upon Paul. They took Paul Silas into custody. They put him in prison. And you might remember what happens there in the midst of being in chains or in stocks. They've been beaten, and they're able to worship God. And therein we see that contentedness of Paul and Silas that was found in that relationship with Christ that they're able to worship in this situation. Then they're miraculously freed, an earthquake happens, and they're released from their bonds. The Philippian jailer comes into the scene, and he thinks it's, it's surely death for him because they have escaped, and Paul is able to share the gospel with him, and him and his, his entire household is saved. And that's, the, that's what we see happening in the city of Philippi. And so when we come back to verse 15 here, when he says, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, that was the launch of the gospel in the city of Philippi. When he left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. The church in Philippi had both given, but they were also receiving. And this is the difficult part because there's a lot of confusion about what they were receiving. And most Commentators don't believe that it was you know, Paul sending uh, a fruitcake or something in return because he's received this gift from him, but most will land on that it's the spiritual gifts of Paul's ministry that started there. You know, the, the gospel having come in, people are now indwelled with the Holy Spirit because they are saved, and it is that fruit that is increasing with them. As they share the gospel with others in the city, it's advancing the gospel, it's advancing the kingdom of God in their city, and so perhaps that's the spiritual gifts that it's talking about here, um, or perhaps the benefit that God credits them with that we'll see here just a little bit in verse 17. So that's what they were receiving, but then they were also giving well. 
Paul says that no other church shared with Paul when he left Macedonia. He says, you only. And if you follow Paul on his missionary journey, and you start after he leaves Philippi, he goes to Thessalonica, and then he goes to Berea. Those are the two major cities along the way. I believe there are a couple of other short stops. And then after he leaves Berea, he leaves by way of the sea there, and he goes into the region of Achaia, um, landing in Athens. So at that point, he's out of the Macedonian area. area. So <clears throat> after he goes to Thessalonica, he was there for three Sabbaths, by the way, and then the persecution, trouble follows Paul, and then is followed into Berea, and now he's about to leave, and we find evidence of that in Acts chapter 17, verses 14 through 15. So this is when he's leaving Macedonia and going into Athens, which is this region of Achaia, I'll read it for you. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but Acts 17, 14 through 15, then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him, as soon as possible, they departed. So at this moment, Paul has left Macedonia. So when he is saying to these believers in Philippi that it is you only, it tells us that when he arrived in Achaia after leaving Macedonia, that Thessalonica did not send him any gifts, any financial gifts anyway, and it tells us that the church in Berea also did not send anything. But it was the believers in Philippi. It was only them who participated in the sharing of a financial blessing with Paul. No other church entered into partnership with him. He writes about this also, 2 Corinthians eleven nine, And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need, so I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. So he's writing to the church in Corinth. Obviously, he's not getting anything from them, but he says the brothers in Macedonia, and we know that the brothers in Macedonia, it was only the church in Philippi. That's who he's referring to when he said that they were supplying his need so that they didn't have to. He could continue his ministry there and not have to necessarily do his tent making, which he sometimes had to do in order to support himself. So there Paul is referring to the generosity of the Philippians. The you only is the brothers from Macedonia. So while he's in Corinth, he's not burdening them with his needs because he's receiving support from the church in Philippi. So there's no doubt that we read Thessalonians and we know that Paul had a heart for them as well. He doesn't call them out on not you know, sending a gift uh, but there's an attachment that he has there to them as well. He also commends the Berean believers. Remember, they're the ones that he calls noble-minded because they searched the Scriptures to see if the things that they were hearing from him were so. So he's commending them. So it could have been that for whatever reason, uh, they were maybe poor or maybe something else got in the way or they just didn't have a chance, but it is only the believers in Philippi that have sent this financial blessing to Paul. He says that they were partnering with him. And it's that Greek word called koinonia. It's that sharing in that, that fellowship here of his ministry. In Philippians 1, 3 through 5, this is how Paul starts off this letter. He makes reference there at the beginning to their partnership with him. He says, I thank my God, this is verse 3 of chapter 1, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That word partnership is seen there, and Paul attaches this partnership to the gospel. It is a joining in that koinonia in the gospel. Maybe they weren't the ones getting the word out directly to the people, but they were able to support Paul in his evangelism efforts, and thus Paul commends them in this. From the very first day, this amazing church in Philippi was sharing Paul's needs. Back in that verse 5 of chapter 1, Paul speaks to that duration of their partnership. He says, from the first day until now. So all along, the church in Philippi had been supporting him and helping him wherever he went. So it brings us back into the closing of this letter in verse 15 of chapter 4. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, here's that phrase, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. That even though Paul technically did not need their gifts to be content, nevertheless he rejoices that they sent them and they did well in their sending them. They did well in their giving. Stephen Cole, commentator on this passage, says, One of the first lessons on giving should be that we learn to take the initiative in looking for faithful Christian workers who are focused on the glory of God and the work of the gospel, as Paul was, and support them without being pressured to give. And Paul is celebrating that they as a church, that they did well in this. They knew that Paul was faithful wherever he went, to share the gospel, and they wanted to take part in that. And then he circles back to when he was in Thessalonica in verse 16. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So if he was only in Thessalonica for approximately three weeks, because he spent three Sabbaths there before he got pushed out and into Berea, here you have this budding church that had just started, and already they're taking part in the ministry by sending this financial contribution his way. He had already received financial blessing from them while he was in Thessalonica. So in very short time of his leaving here, they were already sending support. Now, was the church in Philippi perfect? No. Is Carlsbad Bible Church perfect? (laughs) No. If we have the perfect church, um, I certainly wouldn't be here. But they were supportive of Paul in the mission field. They were following that urging of God to provide support for him. They weren't trying to lure Paul back. They didn't have ulterior motives and saying, if we give him this gift, maybe he'll come back here and maybe he'll be a full-time pastor at Philippi Bible Church. But that was not their intention. They were supporting him as he went to different cities proclaiming the gospel. And their motive, we can see, was love. Recognizing the gift of evangelism that Paul possessed, they stepped in and they did their part to help support him regardless of whether anyone else did or not. They didn't try to have a matching contribution with Thessalonica or Berea and getting to a a contribution match, but they were going to support him whether other churches were supporting him or not. And that's encouraging to see this in a church like Philippi. And Paul is celebrating that they as a church, that they did well in this. And then Paul says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul was content no matter what, 
So the gift was not what Paul was seeking after, and we know that that's probably not the norm for some of the megachurch pastors that we, we see in today's world, but rather Paul was seeking the fruit that increases to their credit. He says that increases to your credit. So more important to Paul was them to gain an eternal perspective about their gift. And I think that's for us to see here as well, that we gain an eternal perspective about our giving. What is the motive? What is behind it? What is the heart of our giving? We see for them it was a heart full of love for Paul. It was the advancement of the kingdom through the gospel ministry that Paul was very active in as he went out on all these various missionary journeys. They weren't saying, you know, I really need to give because it's almost tax season and I need a tax write-off. That wasn't the heart. You can see that they were motivated by something else. And that was a sincere devotion, a love for God, and a love for other people, and wanting the gospel to advance. Their view was the eternal investment of lost souls being saved. And that to them paid in rewards. And I believe that is what Paul is saying As he writes there, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And we must ask ourselves, well, what is the motive for when I give of anything of myself? What is my motive when I give of service to the Lord? What is my motive when I give financially to the church or give financially to a mission? Is it that eternal investment or am I looking for some other form of compensation? And I'm going to get on just a a mini soapbox for a little bit here. So this is not necessarily scripture, but I know you will hear, I say a lot of churches, I don't know of of a whole lot, um, but I see the ones that are on TV, they seem to be the most prominent. You have these televangelists that ask for money and they call it seed money. Uh, Some of you may have heard this, it just seems to be a term more among the prosperity teaching that you find out there, and that if you give money, if you plant this seed, you will reap the dividends of that. And they're talking about a financial blessing that you will receive in return. And they'll even say, well, you'll, you'll get it doubled back to you. And that's just their way. That's the motive of these charlatans out there promoting a false gospel to get people to give them so they can get more. Because if you're giving $1,000 seed money, well, they're guaranteed $1,000. And they're just saying that you're going to get a return on that. And they live in mansions, and they have fleets of vehicles, Bentleys and Rolls Royces, and they have jets that they fly around. I mean, and this has definitely been proven that these, these charlatans are out there. Um, when Yusuf was here with 1221 Global, and he was sharing uh, their efforts in Africa, and their setting up of the schools and, and churches there, he said one of the difficulties in establishing the ministry and sharing the, the true gospel, the biblical gospel, is that a lot of times the prosperity teachings have already entered into the regions. And it's very prevalent there because those who are getting all this seed money and they're getting this money out of people, they're able to afford their jets. They're able to uh, afford their accommodations to get it out there. And he said they're, they're in continual battle with that. That is definitely, I see, a work of the enemy because what they're doing is they're furthering and impoverishing these people by guaranteeing them a financial blessing so long as they give financially. And they may even use a verse like we see here 
in verse 17, out of context, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, and they attach money to the fruit that is seen here. But I don't believe that's what Paul is saying. And I think we need to have eyes wide open to those that would promote a false gospel in order to provide themselves these, these huge mansions and these, these jets and these nice cars. I don't believe that is a true pastor. Um, that certainly would not be Paul. So, okay, soapbox time is over. Um, James Boyce writes, Money that is given to help another Christian is called fruit. It will lead us to invest in the things that last forever instead of the things that can fade away. I think it is worth mentioning here because we get the wrong idea sometimes about those who have wealth. I think there are those who have wealth and can be good stewards of that and not fall into the temptation that many could if they have a lot of wealth and they are very giving in what they have. And having the blessing of wealth, that's not the root, that's not the root of evil. It's that we don't let the wealth rule over us. You can have things of the world, but just don't let the things of the world have you. God can take all that away in an instant. It's to be seen almost like that sand through the hand, that God uses me as a conduit through which he can bless others. Maybe that's through a gift that we have. Maybe it's through the financial gain that we've, we've seen uh, as a blessing to us that we can give it to others. Reflect on what you will have, though, if it all goes away. Check to see if that is the real source of your contentedness. And that if you are a wealthy person, that may determine you know, where your heart is with that wealth. When you ask yourself and you kind of envision what it would be like if all that went away, would you still glorify God? Would you still even give out of your poverty? And if you can, then I would say that you've, you've passed the check there. Is it, <clears throat> I'm sorry, but it is the love of money that we need to be careful of. If we have wealth, that's one thing, but if we love that wealth and we serve that wealth, that is quite another. In 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10, Paul warns of this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So Paul is specifying where money becomes an issue, where wealth becomes an issue, is when we love it, when we worship it. And it is the love of money and the things that get us into trouble. And Jesus in Mark 8.36 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? So when Paul says that he is not looking for a gift, he is assuring them that he's not begging for their money, or that somehow his ministry would just shrivel and die. He knows that it's not that, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who will believe. That's, that's the thrust behind the gospel, and that's what's supporting Paul is Christ. So he was fu- fully fixed on the belief that his ministry was in Christ alone and based on Christ's ability to meet Paul's need. And if Paul were invited to f- speak... At one of those prosperity churches, I'm sure his mic would probably be immediately muted and he would be kicked out. We don't want to hear that. But we can see that Paul, in the circumstance that he is in and being in prison, 
that he can be content, but he can also receive a gift very well. And the church in Philippi can give a gift very well with the right motives. And the real motive behind Paul's receiving the gift was that there might be spiritual fruit, or that is that people might be saved. And I believe that is the meaning behind verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. To see people trust Christ, to see people living for Christ, should be the ultimate aim of all Christian missionary effort. Each time we give to the Lord's work, we should see it as making that spiritual investment which should bring in a spiritual profit. Not planting a financial seed so that we gain a financial seed, but seeking to sow something that will reap a spiritual return. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And I think this is a very good reminder for us is we not only consider the abundance that we have, but that we invest wisely in the Lord's work. Just thinking about this on my way over here this morning, going through my notes in our head, in my head, our head, uh, <laughs> all, my, all my different personalities <laughs> were kind of in, in a battle with one another. <laughs> but I was thinking how we as a church, and I think I can speak for our board of elders here, I can speak for Ray and Barry when I say this, to see so many have this desire and this sincere motive to faithfully give. We want to be good stewards and we want to direct those financial blessings towards things that will glorify God for the advancement of His kingdom. And we don't make a big show here at Carlsbad Bible Church of giving. You know, Jesus would caution us about that in the Sermon on the Mount. We don't want to be those running into the temple and have the trumpets blurring and saying, looking what I'm putting in here, we try to make it discreet. But we also want you to know that we appreciate that financial gift and we want to be good stewards of it and we strive to be good stewards and we want to give it to those who are out sharing the gospel and doing the work of advancing the kingdom of God. So to put our money where it is going to earn the most spiritual profit. One of the points that I've kind of learned if I've gone through here, also taking the time to use our spiritual gifts for spreading the gospel. Maybe we're gifted with wealth, and maybe that's something that, that is material, or maybe it's just using our gifts for the glory of God and being motivated with a heart that is sincere and full of love for other believers and seeing the gospel reaching lost souls for God's glory. And then also learning here that we can receive the right way, receiving so that it encourages others to give. And I think there we will find a joy in both the giving and the receiving of gifts. Let's pray. God, we thank you for our time spent in your word. And it's so easy to get caught up in the ways of the world. And we know that the ways of the world are contrary to your ways, that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. And the Spirit provides us these spiritual blessings, that fruit of your love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, that all these things are products of your Spirit within us, that you are our contentedness, 
And we pray that you help us to fix our minds on these things. That as we turn these things around in our mind, God, as we continue to learn, that we develop more of that contentedness that can be found and is had regardless of the external circumstances, regardless of what our bank accounts look like, the cars that we drive or the houses that we live in, but it is solely in you. But we also ask that you help us to be good in our giving, that if Paul were to write this letter to us, he would say, Carlsbad Bible Church, you did well in this. And then also help us to be like Paul and that we receive gifts well and that we are good stewards with what you have given us and that we're seeking for that increase, that fruit increase that yields eternal benefits. That God, one day, um, we would see many lost souls come to you as we see you saving. We want to take part in that. We want to take part in using our gifts for the advancement of your kingdom. And whether that is something we can give financially to direct us to the right things we can give it to, or maybe it's being used by you. Maybe there's an opportunity to teach, an opportunity to evangelize. It could even be in our homes as we gather with family, maybe today or maybe tomorrow, Lord, as we get ready to celebrate these holidays ahead. Help us to just always be mindful, like Paul, that we, wherever we are, first and foremost, that we share the gospel and that we speak the gospel that is your love towards mankind to save the lost. When you bring us back here this evening, God, I pray that our hearts are still intent on worshiping you. And for those that might be traveling today, just pray that you guide and guard them, protect them physically, but also protect them spiritually. Help them not to get lost in the circumstances of, of contentment through wealth, but just contentedness through the peace that we have with you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.